friends, and welcome to episode 47 of Did You Bring the Hummus podcast. I'm Kimberly, your host, and I'm super excited to be here with you today. Did You Bring the Hummus is a podcast to help you go vegan. This season, I'm sharing new episodes every Monday discussing all things vegan. Most importantly, we'll talk about how to embrace this meaningful decision with fervor and fun. Episodes post every Monday on your favorite podcast app. Before we get started, I have one very important question for you. Did you bring the hummus? Did you know that I offer one-on-one coaching? If you've found inspiration in these episodes but want more accountability or help guiding you through exploring a vegan lifestyle, check out my website for more information. In the last few episodes, I've given you quick challenges to bring more vegan items and vegan thinking into your life. How's that going? Last week, I asked a pretty big question. Have you thought about your why for going vegan? If so, what's coming up for you? If not, why not? If you're still not clear on how going vegan can change your life and the lives of so many others, check out The Vegan Voyage on my website. This is a 12-week one-on-one coaching program that gets you fully into the vegan lifestyle in only three months. What took me years to uncover and learn, I will teach you in just 90 days. Be sure to book a discovery call with me before signing up so you can be certain you have all of the information that you need. There's a good chance that you'll find additional inspiration in this episode. So take a listen and stop by my website after. Today, I am joined by the incredible Chef Adam Sobel, creator of Cinnamon Snail, the food truck phenomenon that took New York, New Jersey, and the world by storm from 2010 to 2020. Before Adam knew it, the cinnamon snail had received a cult-like status, with people anxiously awaiting the location update on Twitter, then standing in line around a New York City block to get a signature sandwich and, of course, donuts. By 2014, Cinnamon Snail was the number one highest rated place of any kind to eat in New York City and the number four highest ranked restaurant in the entire USA on Yelp.com. After closing the food truck and restaurants in 2020, Adam began offering online classes and has expanded that to a membership. You can still get one-off classes too and has begun sharing recipes on his blog. I found Adam's energy to be totally infectious, so... I'll apologize in advance for all the laughing. (laughs) Just kidding. Who would ever apologize for laughing? More of a warning, I guess. You're about to have a really good time. Hey, Adam. Thanks for joining me today. How do you do? (laughs) I am amazing, and I am really excited to talk to you today. How are you doing? I'm just doing great, and (laughs) that's all. Doing really good. Good stuff. Enjoying a little bit of yerba mate. <laughs> That's true. That's uh, basically like 85% of the material of my body is just like years of yerba mate that have built up over time. It's that good, huh? Yes, yeah. it is that good. To me. You've got, but, you've you got know, a... It's one of those things. People love it or hate it. And yeah. I really love it. <laughs> I feel that way about matcha. Um, like I just mentioned before we hit record that my husband started drinking matcha. And when I first smelled it, I was like, oh, it smells like grass. Like, why would anyone want to drink this? And then I tasted it and I was like, 
this is amazing. It also kind of yeah. tastes like grass, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, it, it's one of those things that also like when it's good, it's really good. Mm-hmm. They have that like ceremonial grade matcha. Yeah. The really nice stuff. And then there's that like Amazon matcha that you could just like use for coloring and it does just taste like a dried up old sofa <laughs> or something. Um, so yeah, you, you get what you pay for in the matcha world. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> So I like to start every conversation with a new guest talking about your vegan journey. So tell us how it all came to be. Cool. So um, I've been now vegan for 21 years, and that all started when I met um, this really cute girl, Joey, who I started dating like towards the end of high school. And um, she was the first vegan person I ever got real close with and I very much admired her like ethics and like the reasoning behind it I didn't really ever thought about any of that Mm. stuff because I was just like a dirtbag from New York City um (laughs) and um I really appreciated it but I was also really like oh this would be such a huge infringement on my personal freedom to be uh, to prevent myself from <laughs> killing and eating the dead bodies of others so so for like a year or something i was just like highly supportive of her but like was being a jerk and didn't make that decision myself because um this was like a, a little while ago like prior to the year 2000 when vegan food was still like in the the dark ages Mm -hmm. um she pretty much just ate french fries and like canned soup and (laughs) i was like man i really like this girl i've got to put some effort into learning how to make some yummy food for this girl you know and that's actually really what made me start cooking even professionally like i would i was just messing around with whatever i could find in cookbooks and then when an opportunity came up for me to work in a restaurant I was like, oh, this will be a great opportunity to get better at making this nice girl vegan food. Working in that first restaurant I worked at, which was not vegan or even vegetarian remotely, like I kept finding myself standing up for people who would come into the restaurant and order, like try to modify something to be vegetarian Mm -hmm. or vegan. And the other cooks would really scoff and stuff about it. And I kept on being like, no, it's a nice... Thing. they're like trying to not <laughs> cause unnecessary harm and finally one of the other cooks was like man adam if if this matters to you so much like why aren't you vegan or vegetarian mm. i was like oh that's a good point so I, I became vegetarian then and then um we ended up having a child like about a year later me and joey i was i was like 19 when our daughter was born and something just hit me on that day like i knew we really wanted to raise our daughter vegan um particularly you know just to have like a higher degree of compassion for Mm -hmm. others that should be raised with and we were having a home birth and it was a really long labor and something just like clicked where i was thinking about how important for our child Uh, breastfeeding would be Mm. both like physically and emotionally and spiritually and I felt like 
you know, recognizing how sacred that is for our own child, for me to in some way interfere in that relationship between, um, you know, a mother and child of another species just felt so hypocritical. Mm. And so on that day um, that my daughter was born, I, I chose to become totally vegan and never, mm. never turn back. That is so beautiful. You know, yeah, I've had, yeah, I've had guests on who uh, are mothers and they've talked about that moment when they held their baby and they thought about what it would be like if someone came and stole their baby mm-hmm. or, you know, to have their milk and then put, put them through a process of being, you know, essentially tortured to provide, you know, sustenance using air quotes for others. And, and how horrific it was, but I've never heard a dad have that experience. Yeah. Yeah, Something about parenthood, I think like really, at least for me, like forces me to think about how, how others think about their children and their parents. And, and yeah, I I think it, it can be really powerful though. There's tons of people who become parents and somehow don't go vegan. So I don't know wrong with them. (laughs) Exactly. that's I don't know the answer (laughs) me neither but it's nice to know that people can make that connection without um being prompted by like a personal experience right we don't always have to see the graphic stuff although for some people that's the only way to get them yeah I can't I can't do it yeah somebody like sent me something like that a day or two ago and talking about violence and I was like man like the, there's another level of violence which was that you made me just look at that it's so vulgar and I can't it's like real upsetting to me mm-hmm. yeah that. I mean and I guess like maybe part of being vegan is like you don't have to see that if you're not being vegan maybe you should see it but right <laughs> if, you're, if you're not causing that to occur like maybe it gives you a pass on having to that type of stuff yeah I like that I too I someone like a year ago sent me the video of of Reagan Russell when she was run over by the truck um Mm. at the Toronto pig save and there was no warning it was just a video and the cat she she had written a message that said um I thought I thought you you should see this and then I I put it on and there was like screaming immediately and I was like why i actually messaged her back and i said is this some kind of sick joke why would you you know, send this to me it's kind of a strange anomaly and it different strokes for different folks like whatever you want to do that makes you happy go for it but <laughs> i definitely know like a good handful of people who are involved in like the animal rights activism scene who really ingest a lot of that mm-hmm. material and it's really like depressing for them. Yeah. Like, I I'd rather like go vegan and then like focus on positive stuff about helping other people go vegan. Yeah. Like I I don't need to watch like snuff films of animals <laughs> exactly on or something that Yeah. <laughs> not a good use of my time. I'd rather be like writing a recipe or something. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you definitely I know from personal experience uh you definitely bring happiness to people with your food. I I know I can think of quite a few times where I stood online in front of the cinnamon snail truck and waited for my beast 
my beast mode burger and uh and some donuts and yeah. <laughs> so um and and plenty of friends of mine have done that as well and I even I mentioned to a friend of mine that I'd be talking to you today and she was like I used to stalk that guy in Hoboken oh. she's like I needed his food <laughs> oh. yeah I, I think that's a very like positive way to do the same type of activism and in my opinion Look, I think it takes all different kinds. Like you said, mm -hmm. there are people who go vegan from like seeing some very graphic imagery. There's people who go vegan from like some wacky thing that PETA does or whatever. <laughs> and then like there's, I think, a, a easier, more fun, pleasant way to <clears throat> trick people um, kicking and screaming to the vegan side is to, um, is to just like break down all of the... Um, like excuses they have about like what food they'd have to give up or that mm -hmm. the food's not going to be as yummy. And if you can just like show them, yo, the food's going to be so much yummier than your like grilled chicken and garbage you always eat. Like, <laughs> right. And it's kind of, it's kind of <laughs> like a hard sell, like why you would st stay eating animals. It might, mm -hmm. so it, it's more fun and it's more like positive and inclusive that way. Like I'd, I'd rather um get people excited about stopping eating animals then like shame them into it or like make them like upset about it or something mm -hmm. that's no fun no not at all so let's talk about cinnamon snail which okay. became like like this huge thing right and you wound up with with restaurants connected to it and people would literally stand on huge lines in order to get one of one of your specials some of your donuts Let's talk about how that began and where it went and move into what you're doing now. So I've been um, working in vegan and vegetarian restaurants for like about 10 or 12 years. And I was so psyched about the food. I thought this food can be so delightful and like make you feel good. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're not harming creatures to as great of a degree makes you feel good. Yeah. And um, I just felt like at the time, um, and this was, I don't know, 15 plus years ago, I felt like most of the people frequenting vegan and vegetarian restaurants were already vegan and vegetarian. And there was like a lot of stigma about it. And like people really kind of looked down on vegan and vegetarian, and kind of for good reason. There was like some sucky vegan food. <laughs> like I feel like the front facing side of veganism was like macrobiotic food for like people who are <laughs> I did and that like, for a few years yeah <laughs> um, you know like it just wasn't gonna like convert anybody to the vegan dark side like it was you know kind of bland like health food store fair and like tvp fake tuna salad sandwiches in a wrapper like terrible you know <laughs> and I was just like man, I want to make vegan food that's like brought out onto the street where people who would never be caught dead going into a vegan restaurant would just see like this crazy delicious looking case full of pastries and like hopefully a line of people stretching down the block and a menu that was like not stereotypically vegan, meaning neither was it going to be like super granola-y hippie health food store fair and it was also not going to be like 
all like Maywa fake drumsticks with a dowel <laughs> in the middle, deep fried and dipped in Frank's red hot sauce. Yeah. Like it was gonna be neither of those two extremes of the like cliche vegan food that was existing at that time. And so yeah, I bought like the shittiest, most beat up food truck on all of Craigslist. And <laughs> actually the day that the guys brought it to my house because I was like kind of scared to drive a big truck like that even. So these guys who were selling it brought it to my house and first like they pulled up and like smoke was just pouring out of the hood of it. Oh no. <laughs> like, oh, don't worry about it. Just, just let it cool down for a little while. It's fine. It's really good. So we let it cool down. Then we're like, all right, I'm going to take it for a test drive in my neighborhood, just like drive it around a few blocks. And I made it half a block away before the entire exhaust system fell off the truck. Oh, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and they were like, oh, we'll take off like three or $400 for that. Don't worry. And I was like, great. That's what a good deal. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, originally thought I was just going to make the outside of it look cool and get started serving food. But then I, I had a couple really good friends of mine who looked at it and were like, Adam, we will help you completely gut this and rebuild the inside of it. So it's like really nice. And um, so for it being like a totally homemade job, the first incarnation of that food truck was actually pretty nice to work out of. It opened on Valentine's Day in 2010 and it was freezing out and I had like a little crowd my first day and then like for weeks it was just like I would serve like three people a day <laughs> or something like it was so <laughs> dead like after after like the first week I had to like let go of the person who I had hired to like help uh. me with the truck and it was just me like every day I would get up at like midnight or 2 a.m. and like make all the donuts and drive the truck up to Hoboken and like cook and serve people all day and then bring it home and like clean the truck by myself and restock it with stuff and it was really I would say it was really exhausting but I was like really psyched like I mm. was so happy to be doing my own thing and being able to create whatever kind of food I wanted and after after like half a year it started really picking up nicely and by that you know like it just kind of grew from there you know I, year two i had like a, a few part-time employees and then you know we built out like a kitchen near us to to do catering from with it and um yeah it grew and grew then we had like a couple food trucks and a couple restaurants and I released a cookbook in 2015 and we won like all kinds of awards and stuff, which was really cool. I, I kind of think like in some ways I got really lucky with the timing of it because at that time, like the food truck kind of uh, fad was just like erupting and we mm. got to like ride the wave of it right at the right time. And um, I kind of feel like people at that time at least had such low expectations of the kind of food you would get from a food truck that like if you served good food it would like blow people's minds <laughs> if you served like great food it was like really newsworthy for some reason and uh so we were really lucky about that and um yeah it's kind of it's kind of like metamorphosized over the years you know like when the pandemic hit um i was really very fortunate about the timing of it and I was I really kind of wanted to close things down and start something new and different anyway at that time and 
it just allowed for a very graceful transition. And, and now like over, over the last couple of years, I've been mostly just teaching, like I had been teaching at some culinary schools already, but now I started teaching online, which I think is a lot more affordable to people and it's a lot better for me. And I get to be way more present with my kids, which I couldn't when I was like working 90 hours a week out of the house. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah, I've been I've been writing a lot of recipes and teaching a lot. And it's it's like I found a way to do the same thing I was doing, which is helping people to stop eating animals without mm -hmm. like putting myself in an early grave from the amount of stress. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. So that yeah. means we get more recipes and you get to stay around longer. <laughs> I remember following you on Twitter and just waiting for the update of where the truck would be and, and figuring out, can I make it? And, and the day that I could make it, like, yes, go to cinnamon. Snail. <laughs> yeah. And that was tricky too. Cause like half of the day is depending on where we were, like the police would come and like kick <laughs> out all the food trucks from some certain block. And, you know, it's not easy to get parked in Manhattan Right. <laughs> for a car, like forget like parallel parking a gigantic truck during like the lunch rush somewhere. So it was kind of a crazy, I think like strangely, I think people kind of liked how like elusive it was it's like going to Brigadoon to get lunch or like some kind of Bermuda Triangle yep. service that you can never really exactly know what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm that's part of the fun exactly <laughs> and now as you were saying you do these classes and people can make your food at home yeah yeah it's great it's nice and um i'm planning some new wacky weird thing that i can't really tell you very much about but basically like i really also do miss getting to cook for people mm -hmm. uh, other than my family who really doesn't appreciate my food you guys it's kind of funny like I made such dope food for them today. I mean, I was like testing out all these um, Indian recipes that I'm going to be putting up on my blog. I made such a yummy meal and they were like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> so I, I miss cooking for other people who actually like the food I make. And um, yeah, for that reason, I'm like doing some very small little thing about that. Cause you know, the thing is as much as I love teaching people how to cook like 85 percent of the people who love the cinnamon snail are like yo we don't want you to teach us how to cook we just want you to cook for us like can you please <laughs> stop this is stupid so uh i have to like a little bit satisfy both dimensions of reality yeah. Yeah. yeah i'm sure it feels good to to get out and i mean even for like someone like me who's who's just like a home cook, not a chef who's cooked for many people. I love cooking for people. I it's love fun. when they taste my food and they're like, this is so good. Like it it's just feels so my gratifying heart. to it, like to do as work that like people come up to you and just get really happy and then leave. And then more people come up and get really happy and leave. Yeah. And like, it's really nice. It's just <laughs> it's really pleasant. And I, I really love the like action of it. Like I always loved like line cooking in people's restaurants and stuff because it, it's fun. It's like a game. Yeah, yeah you can't you probably it's so crazy. You have to get like lost in the moment, right? You're so yeah. present and it's just nuts and and yeah. hours go by and you're exhausted and yeah, it's a good right? feeling. It's a nice kind of exhaustion. I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> 
where do you find the inspiration for your recipes? Mm, um, well, I, I kind of have like a, a general like philosophy about how I create food. And it's a little bit like um, based on some lessons I learned from one of the first chefs I worked for, um, Tom Valenti, who again was not like a vegan or vegetarian chef, but he had this kind of idea of making food that was um, creative, but like, first of all, like totally not gimmicky creative mm -hmm. and um, really like spoke to the diner's like innate actual desire to eat something mm. like you know like for instance like you could make some like watermelon caper salad or whatever and like i guess if you're like a good chef you can make that be tasty but like nobody wants to actually eat i mean somebody might i don't know but <laughs> like that's not part of what people are like oh watermelon caper salad mm, i want to do that like um so I like to create food that I really think people will like actually really want to eat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know that's really <laughs> dumb sounding. That kind of like didn't answer your question. Um, I, I guess, um, you know, I do a lot of traveling and, and I try a lot of food from all over the world and I don't try to like recreate it in an authentic way or really appropriate it, but there are certain like cooking techniques and ingredients I get turned on to in traveling that um, I think are really underutilized generally mm. in like vegan cuisine in the West. And so, yeah, that I, I guess between like just keeping a really open mind and learning constantly and trying to make food that's very approachable especially for people who don't necessarily give a shit about vegan food like i you know because i cater a lot especially you know i i, I cook at a lot of weddings and things like that where maybe only the bride and groom are vegan and you really want to make all their guests be like wow vegan food can be like this that's yeah. awesome so my mindset about that is like how can i make this food really yummy and not weird like mm. how can i make it be like not something where people are like what is this fake steak you're making me eat or whatever <laughs> like, i want it to be like things that are just naturally delicious and not trying to pretend they're something else like they're just genuinely yummy because that's how they are um, yeah so yeah that was a very convoluted way of saying <laughs> i have no idea how i make a food sorry <laughs> Got it. <laughs> My favorite thing about uh, the recipes of yours that I have made is, especially the the new ones that are up on your blog, mm -hmm. is that there's like, there's a story, but it's not the, like you go on, on different um, blogs, recipe blogs, and there's always like, you know, I spent Saturday with my kid and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't give a shit. Just give me the food. But you're, you're so mean. You're the meanest I'm... Lady. Uh, just everybody here needs to know Kimberly. It doesn't give a damn about your kids. That's, That's... It's part of her. Um, what do you call it? The, the like sub 
text of your podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah, it really cares about hummus. This is stupid. <laughs> I only care about your hummus recipes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so in those recipe blogs, what I do is I'll click jump to recipe because I don't, I'm not reading the story. But your blog, you tell us about the food. There's like a history or there's some like lesson that we're learning about the food and then the detail in how to how to make it is so good that like you can't get lost in the recipe if you read it you're gonna make it and it's gonna come out amazing at least that's been my experience that's my goal and (laughs) I write that way because I'm really genuinely interested in like understanding food on a more fundamental level, like mm-hmm. either where certain ingredients come from or like where a recipe like evolved through a culture. And I I just think that's like, if we're aware of that stuff, we can make the food better, you know? And, yeah. And it's like fun to understand the ingredients on a more, like on a deeper level. I just, I, I appreciate like food writers who write that way. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's super, super helpful. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I don't know, let's see. There's so many things. So actually I know that you're into yoga, right? Uh And so am I, I used to have a daily practice here at Mm -hmm. home and then like, it's kind of here and there now. And I love it. And I love it for kind of the philosophy Mm-hmm. and and just like getting really in the moment and being really in touch with my body. I can't wrap my head around and maybe maybe you have some thoughts on this. How people who are super into yoga are not vegan. Mm. <laughs> I um I would say those people aren't super into yoga. Mm. Like yeah. super into exercise or something. Right. And uh it's it's a very big distinction of like what yoga actually is right yoga like i mean not to get like real like uh go ahead about it but you know it's like it it means technically to like union right it comes from Mm -hmm. yoga in sanskrit comes from the the um the datu the like sanskrit root yuj right which is to like join and and it's not like a there's different schools of yoga in terms of like what that means philosophically, right? Like in the mm-hmm. West, what's very popular is like offshoots of Advaita Vedanta, which propose that it means like to kind of become one with God, which is in like the scheme of other systems of yoga is, is a very like um, small branch of philosophy of it. Um, like the the system that I I practice for for years is is more aligned with the philosophical construct of achintya beta beta that the yoga is actually the realization of of simultaneous oneness and difference like both Mm. between the self and god and the self and all other selves like you know that we're one for instance like other living entities we're all one like on a material level like we're Mm. all made out of the same fundamental matter that's like distributed in different ways but it doesn't make us literally one like i can have a different opinion than you like we 
you know, if I think something, you're not thinking that thing. Like we're not, and we're similarly, we have like oneness and difference with whatever the source of the self is, whether you mm -hmm. call that God or whatever, right? Um, that, you know, like we have, we're part of God's energy, but it doesn't make us like omnipotent and omniscient and we're not like creating universes and stuff <laughs> like that. But yeah, like, unfortunately in the West, there's a lot of appropriation of yoga and yoga culture. That's why there's lots of people who, who quote unquote are very invested in yoga, like, cause they have like the nice, like Lululemon hat or whatever. <laughs> And they like can do a handstand, but like you you can't really come to very deep realization about our relationship to other living entities if we're like treating other living entities with like they're disposable. And mm -hmm. so I mean that's just that's just my opinion and my my understanding. But yeah, there's a lot of things that I'm always surprised don't make people like across the board go vegan. I mean, another thing that like in my personal life uh, affected the trajectory of my my growth as a person quite a lot that I'm always surprised doesn't make everybody go vegan is like psychedelics, which I did mm. like copious amounts of as a teenager <laughs> and in my early 20s. Like I, I did an insane amount of psychedelics. Like I probably ate acid more than 400 times when oh I was gosh. like a teenager. And um, to me, like, it really started to make me think about, like, how I was affecting others. And it made me want to become, like, a kinder, gentler mm. person. But it definitely doesn't do that to everybody. Like, if you're just looking for entertainment and you want to, like, see wacky <laughs> like that's walls melting, that's kind of all you'll get out of that. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's a variety of, like, things that I think have such a potential for causing deeper introspection that, unfortunately, you know, like, people have very undramatic experiences with yeah and, uh, yeah like yoga absolutely should be that but i mean unfortunately in the west there's there's really like a very poor representation of what yoga is here mm -hmm. in the west and i mean here it's it's almost exclusively just taught as like the asanas just like physical exercise and um with like some like new age gift shop pseudo spirituality like smeared onto it like mm -hmm. um it's it's rare and it's not cheap like you you kind of get out of it what you put into it yeah i like that so you mentioned uh before we we started recording about all the rescues that are currently with you let's oh, yeah. talk about your rescue process and everything you're involved in there so we've simmered down with it a little, little bit over the years. We we were sub-licensees of a wildlife rehabber for years, and we still technically are. We're just not as active. Like we mm -hmm. used to always have like a revolving door of adorable baby raccoons and squirrels and possums that like either the mom got killed and the babies were abandoned or what different situations like that where like we'd have to nurse little baby critters to the point they're able to be weaned off of um you know being fed by a syringe or whatever and then 
um, released back into the wild. So we we were always involved in that. And um, I guess we, we also do like a lot of fostering and stuff. And for a while, my wife was really involved in like sugar glider um, rescue stuff because, you know, in the South, they're sold as like impulse buy items at mm. kiosks and malls. And they have like oh. the most complicated care regimen if you're actually going to keep them alive. Like you can't have just one. They like really need companionship and they there's like a really specific kind of pain in the ass diet you need to feed them and they need like certain types of care and exercise. So people buy them because they're like cute and then mm -hmm. like ditch them immediately in the South. So for a while, my wife was really involved with that. And you know, they're marsupials and somehow through that like marsupial rescue stuff, we heard about this wallaby who um, like some animal education center had just adopted the mom and dad and didn't realize that this baby was in the mom's pouch because they're like, tiny when oh. they're in the pouch and they didn't have room for it like they're they're actually you know they're they're raised domestically in the united states because they're oftentimes sold as kangaroo meat mm -hmm. and um so actually even our license to have him is through the usda which is really weird yeah um, but yeah so we have this wallaby doyle he's been living with us like eight years and he is really like I super don't want anybody to listen to this interview and be like, I should have a wallaby too. Let's go <laughs> order one. Um, they're terrible pets. Like he's really cute and charming, but like they're wild animals. Like mm -hmm. he and they're don't please don't tell Doyle I said this, but they're actually like pretty dumb. And um no like, he'll like never know his own name and come when you call him or be like fully house trained or anything. Mm. Um but he's happy here. We have like a doggy door and a big fenced in backyard, so he can come and go as he pleases and he's happy. Um and then we have like four rescued dogs. And we had four rescued birds, which we just rehomed, which I'm really glad about because were so loud like all times of the day and, and because we're like trying to be nice we also like didn't have them in a cage we just let them fly about our house willy-nilly shitting on everything and it's like i don't recommend that uh, bird <laughs> lifestyle for anybody it's against the bird law so um yeah so that we're actually at an all-time low we just have two sugar gliders four dogs and a wallaby right now is that it that's it. Yeah. All time mm. long. We've had like as many as 30 animals living here at wow. times, but yeah, it's, it's kind of nice having a small crew for a little bit because yeah. just being like 30 animals at night is like a full-time job for 40. I people. bet. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's, I don't know. I hope though that people find some inspiration in that because my goodness, if we haven't made so many different animals rely on us, and, you know, it's something that it's a conversation I've had with people because, you know, we live with three cats and sometimes people ask me, well, are your cats vegan? And the answer mm -hmm. is no. Yeah. And because they're obligate carnivores and we don't have a vegan version of meat that meets their requirements yet, you know, and then their thing is like, well, I don't think it's very vegan of you to have cats. You have to feed meat too. And look, I don't like it, but 
we have made these animals domesticated and then people are irresponsible. The three that live here now showed up on our back porch. Somebody yeah, yeah. was that's, letting see, their that's cat the out. important distinction though. Like when you're rescuing animals rather than like basically buying them from mm -hmm. a store and promoting the like breeding of them and yeah. like production of them, uh, you're, you're taking care of living creatures that are already in existence. Mm -hmm. You're not like causing their creation but yeah it, it is a very difficult um ethical question yeah having animals that do rely on eating other animals mm -hmm. and like now you're getting some like factory farmed meat byproducts for your cat and yeah, yeah it, it's really difficult you know all our dogs are vegan our wallaby is vegan but our sugar gliders and again they're rescues but um they're not totally vegan because they just can't survive that way Mm -hmm. but yeah like our, our dogs i cook them like a big ass pot of lentils and split peas <laughs> and brown rice and all the veggie scraps because yeah dogs are you know despite like people thinking they're like descendants of wolves or whatever like they're not they're like for thousands of years have been like scavenger type animals in the wild not not actually like predator carnivores mm -hmm. they survive quite happily off of like whatever you want to give them so yeah so speaking of those who live with us, you mentioned that you have kids and yeah. so you have this little vegan family that you've, that you and Joey have raised, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Our How... older daughter is now 21 and she's still vegan. And yeah, it's nice. Yeah. How did you find it? Um, because you, you know, you mentioned that, that you had your first daughter in 2001 when things were the vegan availability wasn't what it is now and certainly even at school she probably people maybe were like what are you eating like why is that so weird because everyone else is eating bologna sandwiches on white bread right um how was that whole experience what's it well, like being so a vegan we, parent we're like extra weird with our whole lifestyle in general and our kids <laughs> were always homeschooled like up until uh, college, which um our older daughter took entrance into a little early because she was like super smart and she wanted to like get on getting a degree and stuff um but you know still she like went to ballet and socialized with other kids mm -hmm. and um uh I think both of our kids were raised with you know not like propaganda but a genuine understanding of like why we are trying to not cause violence to animals and so they've been very confident in like themselves about that. I, I think they recognize it's, it's nothing weird with them. It's like something weird with mainstream society that like they can't get these like basic principles of being nice under control. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's a tough world though for like young people growing up now in general, like to be empowered and confident in themselves. And I mean, I guess part of what maybe made our kids lives a little bit easier is like we didn't like let them have us like even my younger daughter who's going to be turning 14 in the week like she still doesn't have her own cell phone or like any kind of social media or anything like that because i just think it's like terrible for young people mm -hmm. and i i'm kind of like scared to see like what the sociological experiment of that's gonna come out looking like for mm -hmm. people like were raised 
in their generation having like a cell phone attached to their face since they were born um yeah but yeah i, I don't know I, that was just like uh one of our one of our many outlandish parenting choices and <laughs> I, I think it's, it's been fun though um i guess both of our kids like kind of want to like rebel against how radical we raised them to some degree and like you know they do that by like listening to like lame pop music and stuff like that and if that's like the most they're gonna do to rebel about anything i, I can live with that yeah oh, that's really fun i love that um i have a, a nephew who's eight and my my brother and his family are not vegan but i too wonder like what is life gonna be like because like people our age we at least had our childhood where we didn't have all of these um all the technology and the exposure the way the kids do now and and i i fear i fear for it for sure yeah it's it's really such a double-edged sword because this technology can be such a useful resource for like connecting with each other and mm -hmm. educating ourselves like i was a, i barely dragged myself out of high school kicking and screaming and like certainly never went to college or anything, but like so many things that I'd like to know about, I can learn for free through mm -hmm. the resource that's the internet. But it's, I guess where it becomes more dangerous is when that's not the intention and the intention is just like mindlessly scrolling and ingesting mm -hmm. like all this garbage. But yeah. I don't have time for that really. <laughs> Most of us don't, but somehow we wind up lost in it anyway, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely like, I don't know, this whole society needs to shake itself off and like go outside and do something fun together and be creative because this yeah. uh, the screen time thing is stupid. <laughs> That's right. It's good for stuff like this where you and I, even though we're both in New Jersey, we can have, we're too, we're far away from each other. So we can have this conversation where people can learn. The internet bitching yeah. about the internet because we're cool. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, I um I meant to ask before when when we were talking about um, cinnamon snail and because you mentioned you didn't go to college and that reminded me that you became this incredible chef that you are by just learning working in restaurants that you didn't go to culinary school. Yeah. So for, for people who aren't able to take that culinary school route, what are some suggestions that you have for them so they can get into, you know, working in a restaurant or catering or, or serving food in some way? Well, I mean, I, first of all, I was really lucky that when I started working in the restaurant, it was before I had kids and I didn't have the same kind of financial responsibilities on myself that I do now. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, my first restaurant or two that I worked at were like, I don't know if I was even being paid minimum wage. Like <laughs> I was being paid very, very little and working very, very long hours. And that's a luxury to like, I, you know, we owned outright our like crappy little home in the crappy neighborhood somewhere. And um, <clears throat> like, I was very lucky to be able to have that opportunity you know, if you have like a family and the car payment and stuff like that, that's a little harder to like take that as mm -hmm. an investment in your in yourself. But I mean, I, I think like as far as working in restaurants and learning through direct experience, 
you know, the biggest asset is to be really, really open-minded and really humble. You know, like I, I continue to learn from like everybody who I see cooking all the time, you know? <laughs> and even when I was like the chef at my own business and I had like 60 employees, like I was still constantly learning from like the dishwasher who would show me like a new way of opening a bucket that I hadn't ever done before or whatever. <laughs> like you constantly can learn if you just like are hungry to understand cooking more. And um, that's, that's how I enjoy learning personally. Like I, I hated being in school. I mean, that's mm -hmm. part of why my kids were homeschooled. I just felt like it's such a waste of time. Like I'd rather learn by doing stuff than mm -hmm. like out of a book and like it just it felt really like useless like well i'm gonna like take the time to give you all these math answers that you already have in the answer book it's like <laughs> like the only thing that made me want to learn math is like when i started doing you know before i had the my food business i was like producing um electronic music and yeah like i really wanted to make super ridiculous chunky bass lines and like music <laughs> that would make people dance their asses off and that was like worth understanding like psychoacoustics and like the physics of sound and mm. like programming all this stuff and like understanding harmonics and like it gave like a practical application for that knowledge that was otherwise like really mundane and boring to think about like in a vacuum same like with going to culinary school like well i'm gonna like make this food not for somebody to eat or whatever like <laughs> I'd rather learn by doing it. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I think just keeping a real open mind is is the key. That's yeah. the key. Okay. I'll just throw this out there that the courses, the classes that you're offering, like I believe you have a membership now and people can kind of interact with you and learn from you that way. You want to tell us a little more yeah, about that? That's so good. I would like suck <laughs> about even bringing up any of this stuff. Yeah, so... I teach cooking classes every month, like usually one or two. Um, I always have like a paid class and then like some months I'll have like either a free or donation based class. And then I also have people who like subscribe to my classes at like a discounted rate, which is to me, it's like such a good value. Like when I used to teach in culinary schools, I remember it would be like 150 bucks for somebody to take one of those classes. You know, granted it's like hands-on in, in person, but you know, these classes, like you also get like a recording of the class to watch anytime. And it's like, if you do the membership thing, it's like 33 bucks a month or something, which I think is great. And every, every month I do like different, totally different topics. Like we'll either do like a different style of vegan food. We'll do like vegan Mexican food or we'll do like some specific method. Like I, I did like a, you know, kind of deep dive into seitan making both like vital wheat gluten style and washed flour seitan, really mm -hmm. like helping people understand how to just make better vegan food at home. So yeah, that that's kind of what I've been doing. Like all that stuff is available on my website, including like you can purchase like recordings of all my previous classes and yeah it's been so fun for me like i really just enjoyed it so much more than teaching in culinary schools too because mm -hmm. it's like i'm doing it from my home kitchen um and over the the years of doing it i've gotten like a lot more refined about it and i have several like good quality cameras set up now and 
and it's kind of slick looking and it's it's really fun it's just fun for me to do like i really enjoy being able to help people like put it into practice in their home kitchen you know like in culinary school sometimes you're like cooking with equipment that people will never have in their home and mm -hmm. It's it's different, you know, like teaching from my home kitchen to other people who are cooking along in their home kitchen. Like there's just something like very <laughs> real about it. And yeah. yeah, I really love it. We we have like a little uh, Facebook group for people who are either taking those classes or doing the recipes on my blog and stuff. And it's just been really nice to like be real open and just like give away any kind of tips that that have worked for me and uh, i mean i i feel like i'm still constantly learning through that as well and learning how to like communicate with people in a way mm. that they really can understand the food better and so it's nice it's like a whole new metamorphosis of how i can apply the skill and intention of my craft and mm -hmm. i'm happy about it yeah and I've attended a couple of your classes and your yeah. passion for cooking and for teaching and learning along with us really comes through. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's like oodles of like puns and dad jokes and stuff. The best class, I mean, I like messed up and forgot to record it. And I, I like broke a plate over my head and stuff like, because I've always really wanted to get good at that. Like, that's kind of like the main thing going on is that like, <laughs> I've always wanted to get so good at breaking dishes over my head and like be able to do it without even flinching. Like, so if I went in for like a job interview with like a stack of plates and glasses, <laughs> I could just like, without even blinking, just keep smashing them over my head while like carrying on a conversation. And man, that was such a good class. And then like, I messed up on the record, you know, thing. So it's uh -huh. lost. To uh, but it was special for the people who attended. Yes, just yeah. for the VIPs. <laughs> That's right. Pay good money to watch me smash a plate. <laughs> <laughs> so, Adam, I've got one more question for you. Okay, ready to go. Let's talk about hummus. Let's talk about Let's it. Let's talk about hum it. Humdiddly hummus. <laughs> it's, it's actually a cause of great concern. Um, my aunt and uncle, every time we come over, they serve me bubbly old hummus from mm. Costco that they bought like last year. That's a real problem in um, New Jersey. Um, I also, uh, one of the first things I was trusted to make in restaurants was hummus, believe mm. it or not. And it was like at a pretty fancy restaurant, which I don't, it's like hard to conceptualize why they served hummus because it was like pretty fancy, but they would put hummus and really nice breads like on the table and um, like, you know, before people ordered and stuff. And the chef there um, didn't give me a recipe to follow. It wasn't like, all right, three cups of chickpeas and, you know, quarter <laughs> cup of tahini. It was like, this is exactly how I want it to taste. And like every day he would come while I was making it and he would taste it and be like, you see how like the sweetness of the tahini is like overpowering the acidity of the lemon juice. And they need mm -hmm. to be like a little bit more in balance so that like you don't necessarily taste taste either ingredient they're just like perfectly in like quantum flux yeah and, um over time i like really 
got it, like how he wanted it made. And it taught me very valuable lessons about like the balances of flavors and textures and fats and proteins. And like, it's such a, it's such a basic, simple thing that could like teach you everything you need to know mm. about cooking ever, if you're really like <laughs> paying attention to it. And um, yeah, that's it. It was like one of many valuable lessons to me in the crafting of my cooking style, I guess. And I almost never make it anymore. Huh. Nobody in my house likes hummus but me. I'm about it. I'm actually about anything with tahini in it. I'm <laughs> yeah, like a full-on tahini spot. I love Any it. Any kind of milkshakes with tahini, it's dope. Oh. Any kind of candy you can make with tahini, <laughs> that's the hibbity-hoo. <laughs> caramel corn, when you're cooking that caramel and you add just like a tablespoon of tahini, oh. it's so good. It's like such a lovely flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Tahini and hummus. It's all among us. I'm sorry, I have very few other hummus related factoids. That's um, okay. <laughs> that's the end of my hummus canon. <laughs> I, I love it because I think for people who feel like I need to follow a recipe or it's never going to come out right. I think that's an important story for them to hear that. Yeah. I, I try to be like that about the recipes I share too. Like I want people to know, like they should tweak every recipe they see so that it's perfect for them. Like not just mm -hmm. my recipes, like go look in any cookbook. And if that like, it doesn't, isn't perfect for you, like make it spicier, make it less spicier, make it less salty, make it more salty. Like you, yeah. that's the joy of getting to cook for yourself and for the other people you love is you can make it exactly how they or you want it to be. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people write recipes based on their own convenience. Like rather than telling you the exact amount of salt, they'll be like, oh, tablespoon sounds good. Like, oh gosh. Dang, dang. <laughs> you know, two and three quarter teaspoons is like too annoying to write down. I'll just tell you this because it's like a flat, easy to write mm -hmm. number or something. And, um, yeah, you got to make it for you or yeah. for what you're cooking for. And the best part, right, is that we can taste it through the entire process because we're not eating animals. We're not eating anything dangerous where if we ate it raw, it would kill us. I'm pretty sure the bubbly old hummus my aunt and uncle served okay, is actually maybe that. dangerous and may contain a health hazard. I think but, you're right. Um, otherwise, yeah, you're safe. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to feed you any bubbly old hummus in the night while you sleep. No, sometimes I do wake up in bed and my aunt and uncle are like slowly pouring like watered down bubbly old hummus or <laughs> like a little straw into my open mouth as I snore. And that's like, you do have to watch out sometimes. The hummus industry, it gets dangerous. <laughs> so stay on the lookout for bubbly old hummus being poured you down your mouth while you're sleeping. say something. <laughs> Perfect. Adam, this has been wonderful. Thank it's you so much. <laughs> I, I wish you a healthy, happy hummus holiday. And it's been a delight and a dream come true. <laughs> Thank you so much. Welcome back. Was I right? 
Did you have a good time? Of course you did. Here are a few takeaways from today's episode. To find inspiration in your own cooking, keep an open mind, keep learning, and don't discount who you think you can and can't learn from, and make food that is approachable. As far as life goes, get outside and do something creative with someone else. To connect with Adam, view his recipes on his blog, and sign up for his membership, visit his website, cinnamonsnail.com. Follow him on Instagram at cinnamonsnail and over on Eventbrite to sign up for one-off classes. Check out Adam's cookbook, Street Vegan, Recipes and Dispatches from the Cinnamon Snail Food Truck, a cookbook. As always, all of the links will be in the show notes. I hope you found this episode helpful and inspiring. Please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're loving it, please give Did You Bring the Hummus a five-star rating and leave a review. It's an easy way to keep supporting the show. Be sure to share these episodes with your friends. If you're finding something good here, they will too. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Did You Bring the Hummus and visit my website, didyoubringthehummus.com for more information about me, updates on what I'm working on, new podcast episodes, and all things vegan. Finally, I would love to hear from you. What do you need help with? Is there a topic you want to hear covered on a future episode? Is there a vegan you'd like to hear interviewed on a future episode? Are you a vegan who would like to be interviewed on a future episode? DM me on Instagram or send me an email at digibringthehummus at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>